Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Cindy developed postpartum depression shortly after her daughter was born and was prescribed medication to help her sleep. The medication seemed to work at first, but Cindy soon found that it wasn't helping and this led to more anxiety and more sleep difficulties. Cindy thought that her brain was broken and started to implement lots of different safety behaviours in a bid to get her sleep back on track. After trying to eliminate all the possible causes for her insomnia, Cindy was continuing to find sleep difficult. Fortunately, Cindy realised that it was all the effort she was putting into sleep and all the behaviours she was implementing in a bid to protect her sleep and create perfect conditions for sleep that were keeping her insomnia alive. Cindy started to accept the possibility of nighttime wakefulness and the reality of nighttime wakefulness when it occurred. She took steps to make nighttime wakefulness more pleasant and took comfort in the fact that nights of less sleep build sleep drive and increase the likelihood of sleep on subsequent nights. Ultimately, Cindy stopped putting pressure on herself to sleep. She stopped striving for sleep. She stopped putting effort into sleep. She stopped trying to fight or avoid sleep-related anxiety. And she started to recognise that all the anxious thoughts produced by her brain were just that. Thoughts. Nothing more and nothing less. Today, Cindy doesn't take any sleep medication and she's sleeping well. Perhaps one of the biggest insights she shared is that she no longer uses sleep itself as a measure of her success. In Cindy's words, it's our relationship with sleep that is the true measure of success. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here. It's great to have you on. I'm really excited for everything that we're going to be talking about. Um, let's start at the beginning. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about when your sleep problems first began and what you feel caused those initial issues with sleep? So it started when I had Fina in October last year. And I had a great pregnancy, a great birth. I felt really good. Um, Fina was actually a pretty good baby. 
Um, and for the first few days, I was actually still doing okay. I was really sleep deprived from looking after her, mm. but I had no problems like just passing out whenever I had the chance. And then sort of around a couple of days in, I just remembered feeling really off, like really jittery and just feeling like I couldn't switch off. And now I think back, it was sort of the beginning, probably the beginning of my postpartum depression, um, but I felt it as anxiety. And so it's sort of built and built and built to the point where I just, well, I couldn't sleep anyway. Um, and then around nine days postpartum, um, I had a really scary um, scary mental health crisis mm -hmm. um, where I think the cumulative effects of the sleep deprivation actually made, uh, made me hallucinate. And I had this really scary... Um, I, I thought it was a psychotic episode. I'm not sure what it was, but mm. I had this thing in my bed. I was lying in my bed, having trying to trying to nap, and for some reason, I thought um, I thought my whole house is floating in the clouds. Like I wasn't dreaming. I believed it, um, and I just remember thinking, "Oh no, like something's wrong with me. I need to get help." Mm. So then, anyway, long story short, the crisis team was called. They came in, and then they looked at me and they said, "Well, you're not psychotic." And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Uh, and they said, but you really, really, really need to sleep uh, because, you know, sleep deprivation is torture and it can drive people crazy. You have to sleep. Um, so let your mum look after your baby for the night. Um, here's some sleeping pills. Go and sleep for eight hours and go. Mm -hmm. So I, I was very relieved. I just thought, oh, it's just sleep. Like, easy. You know, I'm mm -hmm. super tired. Um, and so that night was fine. I was knocked out for eight hours and I felt good the next day. Um, and then I noticed something over time. I started to notice that it was harder and harder to fall asleep at night, even though I knew my baby was with my mum. I knew that she was okay um, and that they were giving me, um, they were giving me cotypine for sleep. Um, and I knew that the, the amount of cotypine I was taking should be enough to knock me out. Mm. But I think there was one night where it didn't knock me out and I was so freaked out. I thought, oh my gosh, like something is happening in my brain. Why can't I sleep even with these drugs? Um, yeah. And then it got to the point where I think it was also the anxiety from my hormones it was also making it very hard to sleep as well so yeah it was pretty traumatizing and it got to the point where um Fina was actually sleeping quite well like she would sleep you know four or five hour blocks quite early on and the big irony was that she was sleeping but I wasn't sleeping mm. um it was quite quite fun yeah. so yeah that's how it started it started with a mental health crisis yeah yeah so do you feel that part of the problem was maybe you just weren't expecting sleep disruption or maybe you were expecting some sleep disruption, but when it was combined with everything else that was going on, it just kind of made that whole reaction just like even more intense? Yeah, I think I wasn't expecting any sleep disruption, at least not in the form of insomnia, mm -hmm. because I had expected to be sleep deprived um, because everyone tells you a baby can wake right. you up. Well, you don't even sleep when you have a baby. Let alone. <laughs> if you don't sleep, you don't wake up. So um, I expected that. But I just thought if you're sleep deprived, you will sleep so much easier. So mm -hmm. I thought I would have no problem sleeping. 
and I actually had no problem sleeping in the beginning when I was still feeling quite, you know, quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not expect to be so uh, wired. That's how I felt like tired, but wired in mm-hmm. the early days. Again, I think that was hormonal and I don't think I could have slept even if I tried. Um, but back then it just made me panic because I thought the insomnia was basically, I just thought my brain was broken. And then what was scary was that even after Fina was sleeping well, and even after my hormones seemed to be getting better, the insomnia actually stuck around. Hmm. Yeah. That's when I knew I actually had a bit of a problem. Yeah. So I think a lot of people listening to this are just going to identify with a lot of what you said, regardless of if they're new parents or not, especially that phrase you used where we can feel tired, but wired, you know, we really feel that strong sense of fatigue or sleepiness, but we're just so wired. It seems to be really difficult to sleep. Um, So with that in mind, you know, I think many people will probably also recognize that, well, there's obvious, there's a clear and obvious trigger for some sleep disruption here, you know, the the new baby. Um, Most of the time, when we experience some sleep disruption, our sleep just gets back on track all by itself once we've adapted to whatever that trigger is or got used to it or we've adapted. But in your, your, in your case, it didn't, like you said, you said, um, Fina started to sleep well, but you, you were kind of still struggling, even though that wasn't the obvious trigger or the obvious factor now for that sleep disruption. So with that in mind, what, what do you think it was? Why do you think you continue to struggle with sleep? Um, even when your daughter was clearly no longer the primary cause of that sleep disruption? I think because it was the first time in my life that I struggled with sleep in this way, mm-hmm. because in the past I was, I think I was, a, I was a pretty good sleeper, but I would not be able to sleep if say I was like sharing a room with someone that was kind of like my um, thing. I just couldn't share a room. And I would know I I would have a bad night, but I knew if I could sleep alone, I would be fine because I didn't feel any pressure, Mm -hmm. but it was like after having Fina and after going through all that um, craziness, it was almost like that, that sleeplessness had creeped into even when I was sleeping alone. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I had like no more safety behaviors to go back into because I was sleeping alone. Like my baby was in a different room. I had my mom, she was with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really frightening because I thought, well, in the past I could, if I had problems sleeping, I could just move to a different room or tell that person to go away. Yeah. But now I can't sleep and I don't know why. I don't know why I can't sleep and I, I don't know what to do about it. So mm-hmm. I guess it was a sense of like helplessness and not knowing why this was happening. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, in the short term, you, you were on sleeping pills, yep. found, found them helpful at first, but then felt like they just stopped working. Um, yep. I think people will probably identify with that as well, that experience. What, what kind of other things did you try um, at that point in a bid to kind of improve your sleep? Um, quite a few things. So the first thing was I thought that my baby was a trigger for my sleeplessness. So I thought, okay, I can't keep her in the same room because I'm probably waking up to all her noises. So that's why I moved her out of the room. Um, It was um, coming to summer 
um, when Fina was a newborn. So it was getting quite warm. And so I thought, okay, I read that, you know, elevated body temperatures makes it harder to sleep. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'm going to sleep, drag my mattress downstairs under the aircon, blast it like at 20 degrees and try to sleep. Um, I thought, oh, there were loads of things. I thought, oh, blue light is bad. Don't use your phone after dark. Don't even look at it. Don't even touch it. Don't even think about it. Um, don't drink tea, even though I watered down my tea like, you know, five times before I drink it. But don't drink tea because that bit of caffeine is going to keep you up mm-hmm. for like five hours. So I tried to eliminate all the possible causes of, yeah, sleeplessness, basically. Yeah. Um, didn't work. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of what you've described there are what we consider these sleep hygiene techniques or rules, whatever you want to call them. And I think people with insomnia are experts on sleep hygiene. They're they're probably the most hygienic sleepers or (laughs) people struggling with sleep that you could ever imagine. And, you know, I really think that sleep hygiene, especially by itself, just really isn't helpful for people Mm. with insomnia because I think it just draws even more attention on sleep leads us to put in more pressure on ourselves to sleep. And we ha- now we have this huge list of rituals. So not only are we struggling with sleep and desperate for yeah. sleep, we now feel that we have to add these 10 different rituals <laughs> onto, our, onto our days and our nights. Yes. And then if, you, if, if one of the conditions is not quite right, then that adds more anxiety yeah. to it as well. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think you mentioned that you found this one specific video on the YouTube channel um, that you found really helpful. And it was kind of like your first step, like that light bulb moment. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about what that video is about and how you identified with it and why you found it helpful? Yeah. So as with many people struggling with sleep, I scoured Dr. Google Mm. and Dr. YouTube and looked everywhere and you know as a lot of the results were just sleep hygiene things and I just thought I'm trying all these things it's not really working and then I came across your channel I'm not sure exactly what terms I looked up probably like how to fall asleep or something quick Mm. without me education Mm -hmm. Um, and I came across your video which was uh, letting go of um, sleep efforts and safety behaviors and I don't know there was something about it that was just so counterintuitive to everything that I was reading online because everything I was reading online was just more sleep efforts basically Mm -hmm. Um, but your one was the complete opposite saying don't even try in fact those things would actually make your insomnia worse Um, and the only thing that can help you sleep is just staying awake long enough and just being calm enough for sleep basically and I just thought oh great this is finally I don't have to do anything I'm good at doing that um so I just decided to do nothing (laughs) and that first night actually I I slept straight away that first night and it was yeah it was really good yeah yeah you know I think that is a big thing and I think it's almost an extension of this idea of the sleep hygiene rituals you know Mm. they draw more attention to sleep we're doing all these things in an attempt to make sleep happen but at the end of the day sleep is something we can't control and it's often when we try and put try and control it when we try and put all that effort into sleep yeah. that sleep becomes more difficult and more elusive so mm. if we can focus our attention on maybe just creating good conditions for sleep to occur you know like only going to bed when we really feel sleepy enough for sleep um being active during the day as much as we can 
those kind of things are way more helpful than trying to directly control sleep or directly put effort into sleep because that really just makes things more difficult. Doesn't work at all. Yeah. yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, I think it is important to emphasize that it's completely understandable why we would do all these things because yeah. everything in life responds positively to effort. Sleep is the, is the exception to that rule. Um, yes. We yes. aren't we aren't to know that until we ch- we put all this effort in, um, and it kind of backfires yes. on us. So, I I'm really keen to just get the message out there that if you mm. do identify yourself as being in this struggle, putting all this yes. effort into sleep, and you're finding that nothing's improving, that's understandable. It doesn't yes. mean that there's something seriously wrong with you. It's not you. Uh, it doesn't mean you've got this different, more virulent strain of insomnia. <laughs> it's all completely understandable and predictable why you're still struggling. And it's probably Absolutely. because you're caught up in that struggle. So if yes. we can shift away from that, that's often mm. when we start to notice those improvements. Yes. And I think actually insomnia is actually really common. And I would be surprised if, um, if a lot of people don't have it, because I think it's a sign that you are human, that we, you know, yeah. we naturally worry about things. And we naturally try to protect ourselves against or react against something that is frightening us or something that seems out of our control. So I think, yeah, instead of thinking like something's wrong with me to have insomnia, I think that's actually quite, that's normal. Well, not, not you know, it's not ideal, but I, it's not surprising. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's also a difference too between um temporary more short-term sleep disruption Mm -hmm. because that is definitely a part of life there's nothing we can do to prevent difficult nights or sleepless nights that's just Mm -hmm. part of being human um Mm -hmm. and that that is a difference between what we consider to be chronic insomnia the longer-term problem Mm -hmm. um that longer-term chronic insomnia is typified by whatever that initial trigger was is probably not even present anymore. Now mm. our now our issue is more to do with a change to how we think about sleep and how we mm. react to our thoughts and any behaviors we have implemented in an attempt to understandably improve our sleep, but have kind of backfired and made conditions worse for sleep. Um, yes. a, a common example would just be spending huge amounts of time in bed um, <laughs> yes. you know, to generate more sleep, but really all we end up yeah. doing is just generating more wakefulness. Yes, yes. And I was doing um, a bit of that in the beginning because, you know, when you have a child, sleep becomes more valuable than gold, which yeah. there's your sleep pressure right there. Um, and so whenever she slept at night, whether it's at 10 or at nine or at 11, I'll be like, okay, right. It's time for me to go to bed and make the most of this. Yeah. But actually normally, cause I'm normally a night owl and I normally sleep at quite atrocious, atrocious hours, like one or two or three. Mm-hmm. So my circadian rhythm was already like not helping at the same time. Yeah. So you know, one thing you touched upon is you watched, so you saw this video and it kind of clicked about this putting effort into sleep and safety behaviors, you know, doing things to try and protect our sleep. Um, and I think you, you mentioned that you just became more accepting of being awake at night. You know, you just learned to be okay with having difficult nights, okay with feeling the effects of a night of insomnia during the day. This this is a big challenge faced by people with insomnia. You know, how do we, how do we accept this? How do we become okay 
with difficult nights. Mm. So I'm, I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on that. You know, how, how were you able to kind of recondition yourself to, to be accepting of, of wakefulness mm. and not see sleep as something you had to battle with? It's a process. It does not happen overnight. Yeah. So even though I, you know, in the first night that I saw your video, I slept well that night because I was obviously very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but the process of accepting wakefulness for me took many months, I think, mm-hmm. because it's one thing to understand it intellectually and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I just have to accept it. And it's another thing for your body and your mind to follow um, because if you've been primed to fear something um, it's very hard to uncondition it it's possible but it's very very hard so um, for me I, I focused a lot on number one was just realizing that I just I don't have to sleep because in the past when I was like sleeping on my own and I could sleep whenever like I remembered I I never thought like, oh, I'm going to sleep now when I go to bed. I always thought, oh, just I'm just going to lie here, think about mm. a few things and look at my phone and close my eyes. And I never thought I'm going to try to sleep and I'm going to try to sleep. And I always remembered that back then I would think if I can't sleep, I'm just going to get up and read a book. Like I've always believed this my whole life. I was going to do that. Um, but when obviously when I had a baby, I just thought oh, I, I feel like reading a book would be wasting this precious sleep time. Um, but then realizing that actually I, you know, I can just get up and read a book. I can just, you know, I'm not tied to this bed. No one is watching me. It doesn't matter. Um, so that kind of alleviated some of the pressure to, you know, try to sleep mm. when I'm lying there. And the other thing was, I guess, dealing with, um, you know, the brain deadness um, the next day, I think. What really helped was when I was watching your videos, you talked about sleep drive. Um, and that, firstly, that's a great way to, a great name for like being completely like trash. That's basically <laughs> how I felt. <laughs> I just think I have great sleep drive. Um, and so it was, it just turned that feeling into a positive thing rather than something that's negative. It made me think like, oh, it's okay. I'm just collecting sleep drive. So tomorrow I can sleep extra well and if this if not tomorrow night then the next night it's fine um and I also because I had been (laughs) like sleep deprived to the point of hallucination in the early days so and I had sort of recovered from that I guess I wasn't as well I was afraid of that but I also knew like oh it's fine like I I, I'm probably not going to get as bad as that so you know it's okay. I mean, even if I hallucinate again, it's okay. I guess because I had hit rock bottom. So I just was way more accepting. Yeah. Being tired was fine. Yeah. yeah. So it was definitely a process. It takes a lot of time to decondition yourself. Um, and I think the first time when it started to get better was when I had those sleepless nights, but it wasn't that bad. Like I felt quite like, oh, it was, I got up, I did a couple of things, went back to bed, got up, and I was like, oh, I feel fine. So then the next night I thought, oh, if I have one of those nights again, I'll be all right. And so I think it was like that little moment where I thought I will be okay was yeah. when I started to be more accepting. Yeah. Why do you feel that those sleepless nights 
felt a little bit better? Do you think it was just a change in your reaction to them or your relationship with them? Or was it because you were doing different things? Like if instead of struggling, you were getting out of bed and reading a book or something like that. Why, why do you feel like those sleepless nights started to feel better? Because I think because I, I firstly, I started to realize that, you know, that I was able to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first thing because, and I wasn't just lying there wondering why my brain was broken. Um, and the second thing was, I just thought it's just a matter of time. Um, it might not be tonight. It could be tomorrow night. So I think just realizing that everything was going to be okay and that there is a way out of this and I just needed to give it time. And right now, you know, tonight might not be a night where I get lots of sleep and that is okay. And, yeah. you know, just having things to do actually really helps because I get, it's super boring just lying there. I would rather, <laughs> much rather go on Facebook for five hours at night instead <laughs> of staring at the ceiling and wondering yeah. why I can't sleep. So, yeah, it's just a combination of lots of things. Yeah, I, I think that understanding the concept of sleep drive, like you touched upon, can be so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, re- all, all, sleep, all we mean by sleep drive for people not familiar with it is the longer we're awake for, the stronger that pressure to sleep becomes. Um, n- none of us can stay awake indefinitely. We'll always sleep in the end. When we're struggling with insomnia, the brain can play tricks on us, right? We can have a really difficult night and then we start to really become concerned that the next night is going to be really difficult too. Whereas the reality is after a really difficult night, the chances actually start to tip in our favor that the next night or the night after that will be a little bit better because of yeah. that accumulation of sleep drive, because there's been yeah. less sleep, more wakefulness. It increases the likelihood of sleep on subsequent nights. And that in itself, yeah. just understanding that concept can be really reassuring, just as you touched upon. Yes. Yes. Um, something else I really liked um, was how you said, you know, in the past, when I went to bed, I never went to the bed and thought, okay, now I've got to fall asleep. But yet when we're struggling with sleep, we kind of put, then we start to put that pressure on ourselves. Right. And it's kind of like, if a client asks me, what, what do I do to make myself fall asleep when I get into bed? (laughs) And it's kind of like, well, how about you just go and ask someone who, you know, sleeps really well and ask them what they do to fall asleep. And you'll probably just get a blank stare because the very process of falling asleep involves no attempts or no effort to fall asleep. And exactly, if we can recognize that we're trying, that could be part of the problem. So I yeah. think that was, that was really, really uh, interesting <laughs> the way you mentioned that. And it's kind of ironic because I think deep down, we all know this. If, if we have a yes. history of being able to sleep well in the past, we yes. can remember that this was yes. never anything I put effort into or thought exactly. into. Why am I doing it now? Um, mm. And just so much of our thought processes and our behaviors change. Like you touched upon in the past, I would just read a book if sleep wasn't happening. But then yep. your mindset changes. I don't want to read a book because that might take sleep away from me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Everything just changes. So sometimes it can be helpful to just try and identify all these changes we might have made and see if we might be able to just pick away at them and start to undo them and see what kind of effect that might have on our sleep. Yes, absolutely. And I I remembered like in the early days of insomnia land, 
Um, I would even try to monitor when I would fall asleep. I would think like, oh, if my leg jerks once, it means I'm getting there. Or if I start to, you know, getting those like dreamy thoughts, I go, oh, I'm nearly there. And obviously that would wake me up and I go, yeah. darn it, I'm so close, so close. And then whenever I had a dream, I was, that was the best thing because I knew I had slept. I thought, yes, I did it. I had a dream. I noticed uh, the, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe maybe more recently, you posted into the forum and you, you shared this really great analogy about sleep anxiety and how it relates to performance anxiety. You know, you're a yes. professional musician. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, it's, oh, yes, it's great. Um, so, yeah, so performance anxiety in musicians or if you're uh, doing public speaking, um, it's, 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 I think it's considered like the third biggest phobia in the world, um, like, something like more people like fear performing instead like than death I think I don't know mm. don't quote me on this you know it's very funny um but yes performance anxiety is it's very very similar to sleep anxiety because um you feel this intense pressure to succeed in what you want to do on the stage um but and, and that will generate anxiety but often the anxiety will also inhibit your ability to do that very task so it becomes this negative feedback loop um, to the point where you just completely crash and burn on the stage. And then those bad experiences will also make you obsessed about future mm. um, performances. And, and so a lot of people think, oh, well, when I'm on stage, I'm just going to try harder so I don't make mistakes or, um, you know, try hard to focus. Um, and that's very, very um, counterproductive because mm. it often leads you to uh, fulfilling the prophecy yeah. So that's very similar to sleep anxiety because the more you think I am going to sleep so well tonight, I'm going to try so hard. I'm going to have all these things ready, you know, my sleeping pills and my perfect blanket, my lucky socks. Um, mm. I don't know, the temperature set at the perfect degree and I don't know, my melatonin and all, all sorts. Yeah. And then I'm going to sleep. Uh, and then obviously the harder you try, then you are not going to sleep and it sort of all goes down from there so yeah yeah and the thing with like when I'm coaching my um, my piano students to get through like um, performance anxiety I say to them like don't worry about the, uh, making a perfect performance because that's actually nearly impossible actually um, like yes you can prepare for it but in the actual day you just yeah you really can't control anything really um, you almost have to just expect the unexpected and you go in there and just play your heart out play your music um, you have to be prepared for anything to happen and you will have to know that you will be okay regardless of even the worst catastrophe mm. so I guess in if you take that analogy to sleeplessness or sleep anxiety you the only way to sleep well is to know that you will be okay even in the worst catastrophe, which I guess is having zero hours that night mm -hmm. and tossing and turning and feeling anxious and feeling <laughs> horrible, you will still be okay even when that happens um, mm -hmm. in the worst case scenario. Yeah, so it, it, it is very hard because it does take time to train yourself out of that negative loop of mm -hmm. I have to try it, it, because it's very, yeah, it's very counterintuitive. It's like you have to not try to make it work basically yeah. um it is yeah so 
it's quite interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. Let me ask you this. Do you ever think that maybe there's even an advantage to some of this performance anxiety in terms mm. of, you know, you're about to get on stage and maybe you feel that adrenaline and maybe it actually in some way helps your performance, mm. um, keeps, yes. you, keeps you more focused. It does, actually. It does because, um, I, I mean, I love performing. I love it so much. You get to a point where no matter how, because, okay, this is, there's a myth that, great performers never feel performance anxiety mm. that's not true everyone feels it everybody um but you get to a point where you feel the performance anxiety and it doesn't affect how well you play I know that I could be you know vomiting backstage with nerves and you know having all these catastrophic thoughts of what if I make a mistake and I can't recover from it I could be you know having all those thoughts but I know that the moment I walk onto the stage despite having all these physical reactions and the thoughts and everything and slippery fingers and racing heart and blah, blah, I know that I can still deliver the best performance. Mm -hmm. And actually the, the reason why I've been able to do that is because I have practiced performing under those conditions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and I love performing. And now, now when I feel those, the, the anxiety or whatever it is, performance anxiety, I feel feel pretty excited because I know yeah. it's like, oh, it's my time to perform. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, the, the reason why I asked you that is because I mm. think we have this belief that anxiety is bad, like all anxiety mm. is bad and it must be avoided at all costs. And often that's when we can get caught up in it. So yes. I'm definitely not suggesting that performance anxiety is something we should strive for in the when we're trying to sleep. <laughs> um, no. But what I'm trying to get at is, it's okay and it's understandable to experience anxiety. Absolutely. Um, and just like you touched upon, it really is if how how we get caught up in anxiety or how we respond to anxiety is really just down to our reaction to the thoughts we have that generate yes. that anxiety. Absolutely. And it can be so helpful to recognize that thoughts and anxiety can definitely make us feel uncomfortable, but they're not a danger to us. And no. we don't have to try and fight them or avoid them or suppress them. If we can just get to a place where we can acknowledge that these thoughts are thoughts, our brain is hardwired to generate thoughts. Yeah. Often it can be another way that we kind of eliminate this struggle. Um, mm, and and yes. this kind of battle with it internally, you know, when, when we find our mind racing and all that effort mm. that goes into suppressing or challenging or doing anything with thoughts, the truth is we don't have to react to them because they are just thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing that I learned a lot about as well, that, yeah, our thoughts are just thoughts. Um, our brains are trying, our brain is trying its best to protect us, but sometimes it has what I call an allergic reaction, which is reacting to something that's actually not dangerous. Um, and the best way is just to let it sort of freak out a little bit um, yeah. and just go, cool, but I'm not going to change any of my behavior to, you know, face this threat that doesn't exist in yeah. real life. Um, because otherwise your anxiety will start to target itself because it can't really find anything else to target. So it will start picking on itself. And that's when you get into a real bad loop because then you start yeah. to fear the fear and then you, which will generate more fear. Um, so, yeah, so I guess it's just, it's, I read somewhere um, that 
it was a really good quote it said like people with um, anxiety disorders um, that anxiety is like discomfort but not danger mm-hmm. so it, it feels like danger because that's how we react to danger but sometimes we can react as if there was danger when there isn't any um, and the key thing is not to not to change our behaviors as if there was something dangerous we just go about our day acknowledge that you know I'm feeling anxious I'm thinking catastrophic thoughts um cool I'll just do my thing yeah 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 I think you made a great point there as well where you say often the fear becomes the fear like we are fit we are fearful <laughs> yeah. of experiencing fear yeah um, and I think the the I think the challenge is the brain just cannot separate real threats um you know like there's a grizzly bear about to break in through the front door and attack us in our sleep um and just a perceived threat like yeah. if i don't fall asleep some kind of disaster <laughs> will happen tomorrow yeah. yeah um so the body will react the same regardless Absolutely. of whether it's a real threat or a perceived threat and Absolutely. then if we try to push that thought away we try mm. and suppress that thought then i think the brain can be like oh wow you're trying to suppress this thought it must be real it must be really serious we need to yes. try we need to think about yes. it more and it just yes. ramps up that intensity and that's when we can yes. really get caught up in our thoughts yes yes absolutely um especially the thought of because this is the i guess the most common thought of an insomniac which is what if i don't sleep ever again or what if my insomnia comes back or what if, what if, what if, yeah. um, it's always the what ifs. Um, and, you know, like these days, if I think these thoughts, I just laugh at it because it, I don't believe it. I just, mm. it's like the same as saying like, what if I walked outside and um, I don't know, an alien abducted me. Right. Well, okay. Something like, you know, something like kind of ridiculous. And I just go, is that something I should be worrying about? Like, oh, nah. So if, if, if my brain starts thinking, what if, what if you don't sleep tonight? I just go, I don't know. You tell me. It's fine. Everything's yeah. all right. Yeah, it's just listening, like hearing the thought, but just, just shrugging it off. Yeah. And, and I think it can be helpful too to just recognize that the brain is always going to want to focus on or think about the worst possible outcome. Yes. Because yeah. at the end of the day, that is a survival mechanism. That's why we're all alive today is because yeah. our brains are hardwired to consider what the worst possible outcome might be to yes. kind of protect us from that. Yes. Um, but then again, we get caught up if the worst possible outcome is often the least likeliest outcome. Um, there's yeah. often that thought that we have often isn't that accurate, but really we don't even need to get too involved in that because these no. thoughts are just thoughts. Um, just we thoughts. don't have to respond to them. They can make us feel uncomfortable yeah. for sure, but yeah not a reflection of who we are. They're not a prediction of the future. No. They are just little bursts of chemical activity in the brain. And we get to yeah. choose um, how we respond to those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, we've really focused on the, the thought process and mm. side of things. You kind of touched upon, you know, trying not to allow our thoughts to control our behaviors. So mm. kind of extending on from that on the behavioral side of things, were there any changes you made to your behaviors in terms of when you went to bed or when you got out mm. of bed? Um, just yeah. that you feel contributed to your kind of transformation. What I did was I compared 
you know, my my safety behaviors and all of that with how I used to sleep. And I try to go back to how I used to sleep. I mean, I used to sleep atrociously, but not because of insomnia, because I just didn't I, I love being I used to love being awake and I would mm-hmm. just think oh stay up late and watch shows and oh, okay fine I'll go to sleep oh boring um, so I used to find sleep boring and I used to love being awake whereas on the flip side when I struggled with sleep I found you know sleep was amazing and I hated being awake <laughs> so it was more about like thinking okay well what did I used to do which was basically like nothing um mm-hmm. to go to sleep and and doing more of that so one of one of the things I used to do for me, which is not recommended for um, other people, but I like I like to lie in bed awake purposefully. Uh, I know they say don't do that <laughs> because it's not good, but for me, because that's what I used to do, I used to just lie in bed and go on my phone and just relax and just feel like bed is a safe place to be. You don't mm-hmm. have to sleep. You can just lie there. That's fine. Um, so yes, I did that. I also did a lot of things that um, kind of like broke my mental barriers about how I thought I, I should sleep. So for example, like I mentioned how I could only, I thought I couldn't sleep in a hot room. Well, one night I just thought, you know what, I'm going to sleep bad even if I slept in like a cold room. So I'm just going to try and sleep in a hot room tonight. Mm. I don't care. So I moved my mattress up, back upstairs and it was, you know, 27 degrees, which felt hot to me. And I slept that night. And so immediately my brain just went, oh, you don't have that problem. You can sleep in a mm. warm room. Um, other things like you know, like drinking tea at night. One night I was just, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to drink a, a cup of tea right before bed. Like, don't do this with coffee; that probably won't work. But you know, a, a diluted tea is fine. I just thought yeah. I'm going to do that, sleep fine. And I thought, oh great, I can drink tea again. And then my, I guess my, my biggest one was um, sleeping next to my baby. Um, that was a really huge thing for me because I had to always sleep really far away from her because I felt like she triggered my anxiety. Mm. But one night um, when I was feeding her in bed. I fell asleep with her again, not recommended for safe sleep guidelines. Mm. So one night I fell asleep with my baby next to me in bed. And that was amazing because I realized I had no problem sleeping with my baby next to me. So basically everything I thought I couldn't do, I couldn't sleep next to my baby, couldn't sleep in hot room. So all those safety behaviors, I broke all of them and it just Mm. made me, and that was so big. It just made me realize, Oh, the only thing that will make me sleep is, being awake being tired yeah and and so now like when I comparing my behavior now when I go to bed like my I have no sleep hygiene behaviors whatsoever I do everything opposite of what people say you should do when you go to bed you know Mm -hmm. use your phone go to bed really late Um, I nap as well I love napping I nap like hours a day it doesn't affect my night sleep because I don't push like I don't force myself to sleep if I know I nap like three hours in a day then I know I just think oh I'm probably not gonna sleep till like two or something so I just stay awake a bit longer yeah yeah so I think it's just doing the opposite of what your anxiety is telling you mm. and that really changed yeah how I saw my ability to sleep yeah that's great I think I think first and foremost, you deserve a lot of credit just for giving yourself the opportunity to test all those safety behaviors and all those kind of rituals just to see if they really were helpful or if they weren't Mm. helpful, if you could still sleep in a hot room um, Mm. or if the room had to be a certain temperature. Mm. Because just kind of 
tackling that or running an experiment, just testing those beliefs. Sometimes then you have to deal with that fear of oh, what if I'm setting myself up now for a difficult night. Yeah. So you, I yeah. think you have to be willing to experience some difficult nights yeah. um, when you Absolutely. give yourself that opportunity to test these beliefs and these behaviors. Yeah. And sometimes too, that first night or those first few nights, maybe you will struggle because maybe you're paying attention to monitor for yep. the effect of the change that you've made. Um, yeah. So it might take a little while. Did you, but from your experience, did you find that, you know, the first time you tried to sleep in a hot room or the first time you drank tea or the first time you tried to sleep with your daughter, like you slept well, or did it take a few times, a, a few attempts? Mm. I think for me, I was lucky because a lot of it, hap- um, a lot of it happened accidentally. Mm. So, for example, the hot room baby next to me, um, one happened at the same time, and and also the nightlight was on. I was I had never I I have actually never slept in a room with any kind of lighting, and so that actually broke an old safety behavior from even pre insomnia. Wow. And so I thought, oh wow, I can sleep with the nightlight on, and and so yeah, and so a lot of them happened accidentally, which was really helpful. And then so once it happened accidentally, I thought, okay, I'm gonna drink some tea tonight I knew the tea wouldn't actually harm me because I've been drinking tea at night for years Mm. um yeah and then using phone and yeah so I think I think mainly because I wasn't thinking I'm going to test this tonight it was more of once I had a little bit of confidence I thought I'm just going to add you know an extra thing I used to do in the past and it's going to be fine and if it's not fine I don't think it's because of the tea Mm. yeah just just taking an a step back just to get the bigger picture here. So yeah. how, how long would you say this journey was from, you know, your lowest point of struggling with mm. sleep to kind of getting to this stage where you don't even really think about sleep or maybe, mm. maybe you don't even care about sleep anymore. Like mm. how, how long was that journey? Would you say? Uh, about, I think about four months from if you count day one as the day I called the crisis number um, till the four months was when I went back to work and that was when I found found your video. That's when my sleep got instantly better. But I would say that even during that time, I was having bouts of pretty good and okay sleep, like considering I had a baby, mm-hmm. but obviously had a lot of sleep anxiety and lots of, you know, safety behaviors. And but I was obviously sleeping because I was just really tired mm-hmm. and I had like all this medication knocking me out. Um, and it's sort of around like um, Christmas last year, um, I was coming off, I, I decided to cold turkey my um, medication my sleep medication bad idea as well but anyway I did it and um, I experienced the whole string of um, zero sleep nights I think it was just a withdrawal from the drugs and that kind of really freaked me out um, but and then that's when I sort of I that's when I realized I actually had a problem with insomnia because at that point I was waiting for things to get better it had it get, gotten better it was getting worse and that's when I was like okay I need to do something then I found your videos I went oh, okay, nothing's wrong with me. I just need to do nothing, basically. Um, And then my sleep improved right away. I would say almost right away. But I would still have the anxiety. I still had those thoughts Mm. in the day going, but what if you don't sleep again tonight, you know? And and, and I actually try to take note of how often I had those thoughts. I would say I would have them, I don't know, like 
three thoughts every 10 minutes. Like it was ridiculous wow. mm-hmm. walking through the day. Like, Oh, do you remember that time you had a psychotic episode because you were sleep deprived? What if you don't sleep again? Um, uh, what's stopping you from not sleeping tonight? So yeah. And I, and then that's when I thought, Oh my goodness, like this is going to take a little while to go away. But I, I guess it was, it wasn't so much that like sleeping better didn't cure my anxiety. It wasn't that. It was more of I re- started to remember my relationship with sleep again. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is because after, in the past, my relationship with sleep was like, you know, sleep for me is like, it's like a cat. You know, you can't get a cat to sit on your lap by chasing it. You know, I'll just be like, oh yeah, I'll just sit down. The cat can come sit on my lap anytime. If you don't come, it's okay. You know, and but then after I, you know, struggled with sleep, I was just chasing this cat around with like a broom and say, get back here. And I was like, why am I not sleeping? Um, and then afterwards, when I started to regain, like sort of learn more about what, you know, what sleep actually is and realizing I couldn't control it and realizing that doing nothing actually just improved my sleep. Um, and that's when I was like, okay that's right. I used to just wait for this cat to come rather than chasing it around. And so I think when my relationship and my, my core relationship with sleep changed, then that's how I slept better. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's great. I love that analogy of chasing <laughs> the cat around. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, absolutely. I, I have cats and I think anyone else that has cats will yeah. definitely, you know, cats do what they want. And it's when we yeah. want them to do something that they do the exact opposite. And I think exactly. sleep sleep is exactly the same as that when we really <laughs> yeah. really want it and we start chasing it it becomes increasingly elusive yeah exactly um, but yeah. i i also love the fact that you described that you know there there was still anxiety you still were having ang- anxious thoughts and it also sounds like there were ups and downs it wasn't like every single night was better oh, than no. or as good as the last so and, and i know no. that's that's really helpful for other people hmm. to hear um yes. because sometimes we can gauge continuous improvement as a reflection of if we're making progress when the truth is you know there's always going to be ups and downs the the key is to just keep moving forward and just try and keep on going yes and I think it's important not to use sleep as the measure of your success it's more of your relationship with sleep that is the measure of success because like you know I I I have nights where I'm just not tired that's Mm -hmm. just how it is I am just not tired or sometimes my baby keeps me up to 4am and by that time I'm just my my body's like nah you're not you're not going to go back to sleep um and I guess it's like learning to be in tune with your body again and rather than forcing your body like saying where's the off button you know and press off button knockout like we we our brain our bodies don't operate like like that we aren't robots we can't just press the button we can't switch off I think that's the struggle with a lot of people with insomnia they just think I wish there was just a button for me to press Mm -hmm. to turn my brain off and go to sleep but it's not like that um it's about finding that relationship with your own body again and I guess almost like respecting your body like respecting that you know you're afraid you don't feel like you want to protect me right now um you don't feel safe and you don't think it's safe for me to you know like to be unconscious okay okay I see Mm. that's okay that's okay um yeah and and I just, it's it's almost like I'm letting my body just do what it wants and it, whatever it chooses to do that is okay it's not 
um, yeah, I, I trust it. I trust it will it will rest when it wants to rest. It will be awake when it wants to be awake. And yes, I have. I mean, I have nights where um, I get very little sleep. Not not very often anymore. I reckon probably like like once every three months, <laughs> mm. which I reckon is probably wow. the same as yeah. the general population. And I I have a baby. Like mm-hmm. I honestly. I, I think I, I think I've done amazing honestly I sleep so well considering I have you um yeah I, I the, yeah I think one of the nights was because we both caught a cold and had a stuffy nose and I just thought okay but I wasn't worried about insomnia I just thought oh yeah this is gonna be a little bit tricky mm-hmm. um still slept so okay um there was another night where I think I had a five <laughs> five hour nap that's not really a nap that's just a sleep mm-hmm. but anyway I had a five hour nap in the afternoon and then I got to nighttime and I thought, okay, all right. I think I'm fully nocturnal now. <laughs> um, and it was fine. I just got up and did some laundry. And then around like four in the morning, I thought, oh, I'll just lie down a bit. And I still slept. So it's fine. Like, you don't have to sleep. Like, just do whatever. That's yeah. my that's my philosophy at night. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And I love how you just emphasize that really, it's just about a change in our relationship with with sleep. Um, yes. To be one, maybe where we just trust our body's natural ability to yes. sleep and just yep. let it do what it wants to do. Sleep might yep. ha- not happen tonight, or it might take longer to fall asleep. Yep. Maybe that's okay. Maybe we don't have to try and change that or... Mm-hmm try and put effort into or try and just try and get involved in the process you know sleep yes. is an yep. autonomous process we we can make sleep more difficult just like we can make breathing more difficult by holding yep. our breath but yes, at the end yes. of the day the body knows how many breaths it needs to take throughout the entire day very few of yep. us focus on making sure we get a certain number of breaths every day oh. so why do we need to focus on making sure we get a certain number of hours or a certain number of minutes of sleep each night the body That's takes good. care of this the body wants That's to good. take care of this by itself yes yes, yes. moving towards a place there where we can just be a bit more trusting change our relationship with sleep can I think that's the key to long-term yes. success and really putting insomnia behind you for good. Yes, yes, absolutely. I was talking to a friend um, recently and she was mentioning how um, how when women go through menopause, they often go through insomnia. And we, because she she's going through sleep disruption at the moment and I'm kind of coaching her through it. And we both laughed and we said, oh, we're fine. We're always set for menopause insomnia because what we're going through now is just going to set us up to be bulletproof in the future so i'm not worried about that yeah Yeah. absolutely i think that's great well you know i cindy i think i i think this has been a great conversation i really appreciate you taking the time to come on especially with the little one there um (laughs) who's been really well behaved (laughs) she's doing great um that's so cute yeah i do just have one last question which is a question that i ask everyone who comes on um just as a way of finishing off the the discussion so i'd like to ask you that question too and the question is this if someone with chronic insomnia is listening and they feel as though they've tried everything that they're beyond help and that they can't do anything to improve their sleep what would you tell them the first thing i would say is I feel for you. It is so hard. It is hell. People do not understand how hard it is because they think, how hard is it just to sleep? You know, it's a first world problem. <laughs> Maybe it is. Um, so the first thing I'll say is, you know, it, 
I really, really feel for you. It is absolutely horrible and it can really bring you down to the worst, you know, mental state ever. Mm. But the second thing is, is that um, you will be okay. Your insomnia is not special. You will, you know, you, your brain is not broken. Um, you do, you can sleep. You will sleep because your body is programmed to sleep. Um, and yeah, there you will absolutely sleep. It is not an easy journey. It does take a lot of time um, because again, the fear response in the body is very, very strong. Mm -hmm. That's why we are alive. Um, it will take a lot of time um, and a lot of patience from you. Um, and you will have lots of ups and downs. And yeah, it is a process that, but once you've gone through it, you will realize that like, you realize that if you can conquer this, you can conquer absolutely anything, like absolutely anything. Because insomnia is so hard. Like, yeah, people don't realize it. Like people who don't have it don't get it. <laughs> yeah. So I always like, I always love talking with people who had insomnia because we can always joke about it. And I say, hey, welcome to insomnia land. You know, how many yeah. zero hour nights have you had? <laughs> yeah. But um, no, anyone who's listening and who thinks like their brain is broken, you are not broken. You will be fine you will sleep but more importantly you will love being awake and that's what will help you sleep yeah i love it i think that's a great note to end on so thanks again for coming on cindy it was great You're to welcome. talk to you thank you thanks for listening to the insomnia coach podcast if you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep but think you might need some additional support and guidance I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long-term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>